0: Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. This is a sermon from our series, I Am, a picture of Christ through the gospel of John. If you would like to find out more about us, please visit our website at cbcsavannah.com. Just to kind of real quick recap, if you weren't here last week, we had Compassion Sunday and, and they were in town. Uh, their organization and we partnered with them, uh, adopting a, a village in the Philippines. And uh, so we, as a church, personally, uh, were able to adopt 53 of those of, of those children, which is awesome. And another nine, another excuse me, another 29 of the uh, of the Mahigo children in Rwanda. And so uh, we are over the weekend and over everyone coming through through the, just kind of the community. 119 children were adopted, which is awesome. So they will have schooling and food, um, education, and they'll get to hear the gospel regularly, which is really, really a cool thing for us to partner with. If you still, if you weren't here and you were interested in that on the table out front, there's still some packets. And so you're, we'd love for you to be part of that if that's something God is leading you to do. Also, just a reminder for the summer, all the elementary school, the upstairs kids are in the room with us. Um, we are glad they're here. They may not be. They're like, Pastor Bill's boring, but that's okay. Um, just and let me encourage you. It's the design, the way we have structured Sunday mornings is, I know a lot of you kind of trick your kids up and you come to church and, and that's fine for, for rookies, but some of you are veterans now. And so as parents, uh, one of our jobs is to equip our children to worship and to teach them to worship. And you can't teach them if your kids don't see you doing it. It's just the way it is. And so, part of the model in which we've done as a church is that the idea is you would drop your children off, uh, whether it's middle school and, and below or even high school, uh, for one for one service, and then you go get the privilege of serving somewhere at our church because that's what God's called us to do. And then you come together for a service and you worship together, and they get to look over and see Dad singing and he stinks but he's singing, uh, and and Mom is smiling and she's got her Bible open and and there's underlining and she's and they're learning to, to worship in the corporate gathering. And that's important. And so let me encourage you in the fall when classes open up again, yes, they'll be there. And and we want your fifth graders up there because they have a blast and they throw balls at each other and they sing songs and it's great. We also want them in here. Uh, It's just part of equipping them to one day they're going to be leaders in the church. And so just let me encourage you with that, but we're glad that they're here. I will try to preach shorter this summer. And so will some of the other guys, just so you are not going crazy, but we do have some sheets in the back that have been designed to go along with the sermon. So it kind of keeps them engaged a little bit. So speaking of that, you know, with summer in full swing, here's my encouragement to us as a church. Don't take a break from your spiritual life over the summer. And I know, especially if you have kids, everything's crazy right now, right? It's just schedules are crazy. And now the kids, you don't have to wake up at 6.15 and make breakfast, but it's still just nuts. And now we have to entertain it. And, and it's easy because there's a different rhythm in your life right now. And that's the case to to kind of like Fall away from the kind of the, the rhythm of your spiritual, of your spiritual life. I get that, and, and let me just encourage you to embrace the newness. Kind of do something new. Uh, maybe you know you're going to the lake in a few weeks. You're going to the beach, whatever. Get a good book on parenting, on on some spiritual uh, aspect of your spiritual life. Maybe an area that you need to grow in. A real book I mentioned a few weeks ago would be a great one for you. It wouldn't be a real upper, but it'd be helpful. Called "Respectable Sins" by Jerry Bridges. It's a real winner. Right? It'll make your summer great. It's a summer of fun, um, but just ch- kind of don't take a break from your spiritual life, and don't be frustrated uh, just because the rhythm's out. Because I get it. it, and it's challenging. I got four kids, and they just want to be entertained, and and I say, oh, you're not entertained. No, this, there's my bad gladiator <laughs> reference for the movie. So, um, but don't d- don't take a break from Jesus, because eventually August will come. Believe it or not, some of the parents are like, yes, we can't wait till August is coming. August will come, and we don't want you to uh, be just exhausted physically, mentally, spiritually. We really want the summer to be a refreshing time uh, in many ways for us as a church. And so, actually, that plays into the, the, the cry for this series that we're going to do for the summer. If you're kind of new to our church, what we usually do is we our rhythm of, of, of church is we typically, for the most part, work through books of the Bible, So we'll start a new book in January, we'll start a new book in the fall, and kind of try to get through two books of the Bible, usually one old, one new, it's it's not always the case, but we try to do that uh, every year. Uh, In the summer, it's an opportunity for us to do something a little bit different, um, where we still do expositional teaching, but um, we kind of, we create series that you, if you're out for two weeks because you're at the lake or whatever, you come back, you don't feel like you're lost. So they can be standalones, but they also are part of a series. It also gives us an opportunity for some of the other guys on staff to preach and teach. And it's an opportunity for us to develop younger preachers. I was the younger preacher at one point, right? When everyone was like, crud, Fowler's on. You know, I was that guy. So uh, what I wanna encourage you to do is not be crud, Fowler's not on. Because what happens is it is a good thing for a church to hear other voices. uh, Because this is not, I am not the Holy Spirit, right? I am not the only vessel in which through God speaks. God uses his people. God uses different voices. Same Bible, same spirit, same church. And it's actually a healthy thing for us to not become a cult of personality. All right? Now, if you all want to root for the Phillies, that's great. I invite you to do so. But other than that, we don't want to be about, it's not about me, it's not about any other preacher. It's not Apollos or Paul or whatever. It's about Christ, Right? And so we want to uh, encourage some of these guys who are gonna speak, some of them you've heard before, some of them you haven't, because they have some really great things to say and I'm excited about hearing their heart. The passages they've picked uh, in this series or something that you, most of them are passionate about that area or maybe it's their area of ministry. I think there's gonna be some great fruit from it and so I wanna encourage you guys to come expectantly as we open this new series, which is really aimed at being a refreshing series for us after Judges. I promise there'll be no you know, beheadings, Or uh, anything crazy like that going on. At least not that I can foresee unless these guys go off the map and then we'll talk to them about that. But um, as you can hear I'm a little better, if you were here last week, I was sick, Uh, not feeling so great last week, feeling great this week. I got, that's because I got on Monday, I got some steroids, got in the gym, pumped some iron. Uh, So I, so I got, you know, went to the CVS, picked up the, the steroids and on the pack, all right, it says... Take six pills on the first day, and one less pill every other, every, every day. So I'm like, okay, wait, six and five. I got that right. So I took, So I get home. It's like seven o'clock. It says take with food. I'm like, okay, cool. So I, I open the pills. Pump, 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 Put six. Throw them all in. Boom. Right. Okay. Which is it's it's apparently with a steroid. It's supposed to keep. Some people have a problem sleeping. I've never had a problem sleeping. I can drink coffee while I'm sleeping and I can sleep. So uh, sleeping is not an issue for me. It did say take with food. I drank a glass of milk. That's, for me, that's food, right? So I take six pills, boom, do some milk, hit the bed, right? Wake up the next day, I'm like, okay, day two. One less, I, I did, you know, PE major, six minus one is five. Five pills today. I don't eat breakfast, I drink coffee. Uh, so I'm like, oh, I'll just take the pills to work. Take five at lunch, right? So I eat a little lunch, get our uh, lunch for staff. And then I, you know, start, I get, I get four of them down, and, I, and then I, for some reason, I'm pushing it through, and, and the pill flips over, and I realize that there's directions on the back of the pills. I didn't realize these were there before. And, it, and apparently, there's a better way to take these things. Like, you're supposed to, like, I, didn't, I don't know exactly how day one's supposed to go, because I just, when I just ripped it. I just ripped it, and so I ripped it day and one and two in half and said the directions were not on there. But there's a cute little arrow that says day one, take before breakfast, boop. Day one, pill two, take after lunch. And it works your way around to a logical way as opposed to taking six at once. So I'd already taken four on day two, so I figured it doesn't really matter at this point. I take the fifth one then, because it's not gonna hurt me, right? And then from that day point on, I took them the right way, right? And I'm fine, didn't die. Got big, lifted weights, right? <laughs> But here's the point. They, first of all, why do they not, don't they know that 50% of the people picking up these, these pharmaceuticals will be men and won't read beyond that front page? They should know that, first of all. Like, but beyond that, I think sometimes that's the way we treat Jesus in the church. We get the big idea. We get the big pill. We get the, we get the six pills first day, one less every day. We get the big picture, yeah, I get the idea. But what, what I want us to see this summer is that if you flip over the pill, there's more there than just the big idea. There's, there's, a, better, there's a better understanding and a better way to do this It probably will be more meaningful in your life long term than just throw them in, drink some milk, and go. And so what we're going to do this summer is we're going to flip the pills over, and we're going to kind of one day at a time for seven days, and we're going to see a little bit in a deeper way, I hope. And again, we're not gonna get super deep in systematic theology or all these other, but what we wanna do is we wanna sit at the feet of the Savior and see what does he say about himself. And we're gonna examine the so-called seven I am statements found in the Gospel of John that Jesus makes about himself. So that's what we're doing this summer. I pray it's gonna be refreshing for you. If you're unfamiliar with the Gospels, uh, you have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic and they are very similar. They share a lot of the same stories, the same parables, the same instances. The Gospel of John is unique in this. It's unique for several reasons. Number 1, 90% of Mark, of John's material is unique to John. It's not found anywhere else in any other gospel. Right? So that's that's significant. Number 2, it's written by a guy named John, obviously, but John was, of all the Gospels, was the closest to Jesus of any of the Gospel writers. So Matthew's one of the 12, so he's on the inner, he's he's on the in. Mark's not one of the disciples. Luke didn't even ever meet Jesus that we know. Um, John was one, not only one of the 12, he was one of that inner circle. He was one of that James, John, and Peter, that inner circle of them. And here's something else that many of you probably never heard before, that John was actually the first cousin of Jesus. John's mama was named Salome. Salome's sister was named Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus. These are two that grew up together. No one knew Jesus like John knew Jesus. And so when he writes of Jesus, he's he's personal. And and the way he arranges his gospel, he's very particular. He chooses seven miracles. I mean, Jesus did thousands of miracles. He chooses seven specific miracles Boom, 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 boom. And he, and he chooses seven I am statements. Boom, 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 boom. And the aim, he tells us why. He tells us why he arranges his gospel the way he does. At the end of the book, he says this. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. They're not written in this book, but these are written. He's like, well, I'm writing this, this gospel. Everything I've put down on paper, this is written so that you, the, the reader, may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God, and that by believing that you may have life in his name. So when he puts these seven I am statements in here and these miracles in here, the goal for John is that you would have faith and in your faith you would have life, that you would have this abundant life that Jesus promises, that that you would experience life the way he would want you to. And so when he says, I am the bread of life, what's that mean for you? It's gonna lead to life. When he says that I am the good shepherd, I'm the light of the world. I am the vine. There's, these things lead to life, understanding these. And so we are going to spend seven weeks after this one kind of flipping over the pills and kind of reading and following the arrows. And my job today, my job's easy job, right? I'm the the front directions. I'm the big directions. Six pills, one less every day. I'm gonna give you the big idea, kind of the entry point on the front of the box And then some guys after me, and and me included, are going to kind of unpack the the more specific details. But I'm going to set the stage today, and I'm going to do it, and we're just going to look at really the significance of two words. Two words that Jesus speaks, and everybody gets so mad they want to pick up stones and throw at them. Just two little, simple words that seem so insignificant, but yet it blows up every time he uses them. It's these words right here. Ego, me translation I am I am simple right simple sentence three letters for us Uh, but but why is it that this is such a big deal in the gospel of John why is it such a big deal in scripture why is this the uh, he's going to add to this obviously he's going to say ego a me the good shepherd he's going to put a predicate is what it's called I even know that, and I'm a PE teacher, so here we go, right? But he's going to add something to it, but we're just going to look at the I am and the significance there, so that after that, every time you hear him add something on, you're going to come back to the big idea, all right? And to get that, you actually don't look in the Gospel of John. You actually have to understand the significance going way back before to a book called Exodus, second book of the Bible. So turn, if you have a Bible, to Exodus 3. If you don't have one, I'll have it on the screen. Or you can go right now to the App Store, type in ESV app, whoop, install, and you can have it right there. But we're, we're going to look briefly here, and then we'll look at a couple instances where Jesus uses it, and then we're going to worship. The context in Exodus 3 is this. Moses was born. He was hidden and, and miraculously saved at his birth because Pharaoh ordered the death of all male childs uh, of the Jews. He is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, so he is raised as the Val Kilmer Prince of Egypt. right, he at 40 years old uh, kills a Egyptian trying to kind of show the Hebrews that he wants to help them, he wants to save them. They reject him. He runs off into the wilderness for 40 years where he just becomes a shepherd and a daddy and a husband. And that's where we pick up in Exodus three, verse one. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. The mountain of God, another name for Horeb is Sinai, Mount Sinai, right? He doesn't know it's Mount Sinai yet, but just a normal day for old boy. He goes out and as he's walking, as as he has for 40 years and seeing bushes in the wilderness as he has for 40 years, something sparks his attention off in the distance. It's, It's on fire. It is a bush that is on fire that is not unique in the desert. He's probably seen it a thousand times. But this is unique because the bush is burning, but it's not burning, right? And so verse two, we find out why. The angel of the Lord, and we've seen him before, right? Gideon, Samson, all these things. The angel of the Lord is actually God himself, appears to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. He says, I gotta see that. I gotta go see that. So verse four, God calls to him. First time God speaks to him, first of many God called to him from the bush and says, Moses, Moses, just in case you didn't hear the first one or you thought it was the wind, it's me, right? He said, don't come near, take off your sandals, take them chacos off, right? This is holy ground. So he takes off his chacos out of reverence, which is still a sign, by the way, in the Middle East of reverence and humility. And God identifies himself. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid. He was a fear factor here. He's got his shoes off. He's on his face. This thing's burning. He doesn't get it. This bush is speaking. That is crazy. Right? It's a a big scene. And then God says in verses 7 through 9, you can read it later. I've seen what's going on in Egypt. I've seen what Pharaoh's doing. I'm going to do something. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. His natural response, me? Who am I that I should go and bring the children of Israel out? He said, it doesn't matter who you are. That's a bad question. He ain't gonna answer who he is. He says, the answer is, I will be with you. No matter about you, but I will be with you and this will be your sign. You're gonna come back here and you're gonna worship God on this mountain. The word for serve God on this mountain is the word for worship. You're gonna worship God back on Mount Sinai where I give you the 10 commandments and we have that whole scene later on. So that's how you know this is gonna happen. And Moses said, God, Moses is trying to get out of this. You know the story, right? If I come to the people of Israel and say, the God of your father sent me to you and they say, well, what is his name? What do I say? Right? You, said that, you said, I'm sending you. Well, who are you? Who should I tell these people that you are? Notice what he says. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Eyah aser Tell them I am has sent you. It's, it's this word, it's, you, it's from the Hebrew word hayah. Not hayah like Bruce Lee hayah, but hayah is it's just a, it's the word to be in Hebrew, right? And he uses the first person singular of this verb to be. I am who I am. Not I was, not I will be, it's I am. And there's, look, I could, we could spend weeks in a class on Trinitarianism and talk all about the, the different aspects of God. But there's at least three big ideas from this thing, this concept of God being I am. Number one is that he is the only God. Egypt's got a thousand gods. And what he is highlighting here is, no, 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 I am God. And there is no other right? I am the God, period. End of story. There's an idea there that there's an unchangeability about God. It's a fancy word, immutability, that Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, forever. That He is not, I was. It's not that I will be. What he was a billion years ago, God is today. And what God is today, he will be a billion years from now. And by the way, a billion, billion, billion years before that, He he was there. And a billion years after that, he's always the same. And he is Outside of time, he is independently existent. God is not dependent on anything. You realize that in eternity past, it was just God. The triune God in an eternity past. And at some point, he said, in eternity, it's time, time to make the donuts, a.k.a. Us. right? And there was a time when it was just God and he was self-existent and he was just fine. He wasn't lonely, he wasn't needy, he was just God. So that, that, all that is encapsulated in this idea of I am who I am. And then he makes this statement, verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people, the Lord, and this is the Hebrew word right here, Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac has sent me to you. This is my name. Yahweh is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations as Yahweh. And what he's done here is he's, he's just done a little bit of grammar change. When he says, I am that I am, he uses the first person singular of the verb, hayah. when he uses this word Yahweh, he changes to the third person singular. I know this is very English seventh grade for you. You're like crazy right now, right? But here's the idea. When God speaks of himself, he says, I am. When the people are to call him Yahweh, we are saying he is. That's the difference. When God speaks of himself, it's I am. When they say Yahweh, it's he is, right? That's the significance. And and when you see this, if you have the ESV, NIV, NASB, whatever V, uh, usually when you see the capital, the word Lord and capital, you see how it's capitalized? That is the Hebrew word Yahweh. That's what the English writers are trying to get you to say. It's sometimes translated God, Lord. Uh, there's many words for God in, in Hebrew. Elohim, right, in the beginning, Uh, God created, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, right? So that's a word that God uses of himself. Uh, The word Adonai, right? My Lord is a word that's used for God sometimes. Sometimes it's translated Lord without capital. But when you see that one capitalized, you know that this is the covenant name Yahweh. He is, I am. And it became so holy to the people of Israel, kind of the second temple period, which is 5600 B.C., uh, they stopped saying his name. They would, when, you were, when they're reading the scripture and the name Yahweh would come up, they would substitute it for Adonai, out of respect for the covenant name of God. And so even today, if you hear a, uh, a Jewish person read the Shema, Shema Israel, they'll say, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Instead of Yahweh, they'll say, "I deny." It's it's, and it's, some of them, if they're super orthodox, they'll actually cover their eyes when they're saying that. Why? It's out of reverence for the name, right? And, and they, what they're doing is they're taking that commandment, third commandment, don't take the Lord's name in vain, right? We in the South, that means don't cuss. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. You cussed. right? It, it's but they're they're just. It's about revering the name of of God, and so they'll just out of respect, they won't even say the name Yahweh. They'll, they'll adonai right here's another interesting tidbit Uh, for those of you who are king fans of the old king james some of you i don't know why you are but you know whatever you read your bible you don't understand it that's fine Um, but so in, in the old testament in the king james when you see this word yahweh not the new king james the old king james it'll use the word jehovah right you've seen jehovah before when i think of jehovah I think of Indiana Jones in the last crusade. That's what I think of, but that's just me right in my eighties mind. But, um, the word Jehovah, not bad name, but it's actually a made up name, believe it or not. Let me show you how this works. This right here is a picture of a modern day Hebrew Bible, right? If you go out and buy yourself the, uh, the modern day Hebrew Bible, this is what you're going to get. Remember Hebrews read from right to left. And so you have these little dots. You can see them unless you're in the balcony, maybe. These are called vowel points. So there was no vowels, uh, vowels in the original Hebrew language. They just knew how to pronounce it. And so they added the vowel points about 600 AD. They started adding this. And so now you got all these little dots and all these things. That's great, right? So it helps us pronounce it all right. Here's the original. Here's what the original uh, w- looked like. This is actually a copy of the scroll of Habakkuk from the Dead Sea Scrolls, circa 200 BC. So this is before Jesus uh, came to earth. This is, this is actually a copy of the, of the, of the scriptures. Okay. See, no dots, no dots there, right? No vowel points, right? So, so how did they know how to do it? They just knew how to do it and they just were smart. But here's what happened, okay? 1500 AD, Pope Leo X, his confessor, uh, they take the name Yahweh, here it is, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh, right? Uh, the tetragammon, they, they call it, it's these four letters. They took the name, the consonants from this word, Yahweh, and they took the vowel points, this is the Hebrew word Adonai, okay? There's the A, O, A. I know this makes no sense, trust me. That's why we don't, that's why I don't speak Hebrew. But um, they took the vowel points from, these, from this word, Adonai, they superimposed it, on the consonants from this word and this is what they get there's you can see there's the Yahweh, there's the vowels adonai right and you get jehovah a made-up name right it's not bad i mean if you're like oh man i've been saying jehovah jireh for 20 years now okay that's fine it's not bad right but just to understand it's kind of a made-up name which is very interesting for the Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way, if you've ever talked to them. But that's another story altogether. And I see you say, what's the point of all that? Absolutely nothing. I just, I think it's interesting. I went to seminary, I don't know, whatever. But um, back to the point of the text, Jesus, I mean, uh, God in in Exodus 3 is saying, you wanna know who I am? I am. I am the self-existing only true, immutable God. That is who I am. And that's important to understand that background when you're reading the Gospel of John when Jesus is interacting with a bunch of Hebrews, all right? So turn now to John chapter eight. Flip way to the right. We're gonna see two quick uses of how Jesus uses this te- this passage. And then we'll worship. Because remember, my job is, I'm just setting the big stage. I'm, I, I, I got the big directions, right? What is the significance of I am? I'll let these other guys unpack it. But John chapter eight, and this is one of those typical back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so in verse 31, we pick up, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, if you abide in my word, if you continue in what I've said, basically, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hallelujah, praise God. Great promise. And then these Pharisees, they say, well, we're the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone, which is the most ridiculous thing they've ever said, considering they were in Egypt for 400 years, then there came Babylon, then came Assyria, then came Greece, and at the current point when they are talking, they're enslaved to Rome. But whatever, okay? He's, they, we've never been enslaved. How is it you say we'll become free? And Jesus says, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. He's talking about sin. Slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Right? Great promise. Amen. And then he says, I know you're the offspring of Abraham. I know you're Hebrews. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. You do what you have heard from your father. He's not talking about father Abraham right here. He's going to tell him who he thinks their father is in a minute. But he says, I'm from my dad. You're from your dad. I act like my dad. You act like your dad. They said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you nothing but the truth that I've heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. He's hitting about, again, who their dad is. And so they just got all insulting, right? They're gonna insult his mama, right? This is like, your mama's ugly. Like one of those things, right? They said, well, we weren't born into sexual immorality. What are they saying? You don't know who your daddy is. Right? The scandal of Mary's pregnancy, the virgin birth, is still being felt 30 years later by Jesus. You don't even know who your daddy is, so what you talking about, Willis? That's what they're saying. We have one father. Our father is God. And he says, if God is your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord. He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. There it is again. If you continue my word, you are my disciples. You are of your father. Here's what he's saying. Your daddy is the devil. And your will is to do the devil's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar. He's the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which of one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is you're not of God, i.e., you're from Satan. And the Jews said, are we not right in saying you're a Samaritan and have a demon? This is like they're attacking him racially, they're attacking him spiritually, they're insulting him. Jesus said, I don't have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, there's this idea again of keeping his word, he will never see death. The Jews say, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, prophets died. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than Abraham who died? What are they saying? Who who do you think you are, Jesus? You think you're greater than Abraham? You think you're greater than Isaiah? You think you're greater than Jonah? Who do you make yourself out to be? He says, if I glorify myself, My glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, the one you love, Abraham, he rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Right? This is a profound statement. He's saying, Abraham... Couldn't wait to see me get here. He saw it, and he was glad. You say, how how can he say that? Because God promised Abraham that in him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. So he's looking down the corridors of time, 18, 2,000 years ahead, knowing that God promised that someone would come from his loins that would be a blessing to everyone. He believed it. He saw it. He was glad. Jesus says, this is what happened. And they're like, you are crazy, whack, funky. You're not even 50 years old and you say you've seen Abraham. This guy is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And Jesus said, I love this, this is great. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, that's his way of saying, don't miss this. You ain't gonna wanna miss this one. Before Abraham was, I am. Not, yeah, not before Abraham died, not before, before he even lived, Not I was, I am. And it's like mic drop, boop, Yahtzee, Uno, whatever. I mean, it is, it's on. It is on. And remember remember what led up to this. Remember what led up to God saying this back in Exodus 3. Moses says, who should I say you are? Who, who, Who are you? What did the Pharisees just say? Who do you think you are? Same question, really. Who are you? Right? And what Jesus is saying, it's it's astounding. He says, I am Yahweh. I am the one that that was in that burning bush. One Moses couldn't look at because he was terrified. The one who spoke to Gideon and Samson's parents. The one who said, Take off your shoes. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and me. The self-sufficient, all-knowing, creator, unchangeable, not dependent on anyone. And again, think of their context too. They are Old Testament Jews. For them, God's presence, the presence of Yahweh is where? in this place called the temple. And you go through the outer court and then you go into this holy place and there's some bread over here and there's some candles over there and there's a little altar and then there's this veil, this curtain. And no one can go behind the curtain except the high priest once a year. Behind that curtain, the Ark of the Covenant, there the presence of Yahweh dwells. And when Jesus, it's cloaked behind this veil. And what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. It's not behind that veil anymore. It's not cloaked behind there. It's cloaked in human flesh. It's no longer hidden in a fire. It is, is clothed. It is in a humble form of a servant. Which is why, by the way, when Jesus is sacrificed, what happens? <laughs> Temple veil, open, access to God, open. And it was from top to bottom showing it wasn't no man that did it, it was God. And so he is standing before them saying, I am God. And just in case you think, well, they kind of missed it. He didn't really say that. No, no, no. They picked up stones to kill him right there at church. Why? Because this is blasphemy. To claim to be God. He says it later on too when he says, I and the Father are one and they're gonna kill him. He says, for what good deed do you try to kill me? He says, they say, not for a good deed. It's because you, being man, make yourself out to be God. And that's actually true. He is man 100%. He is God 100%. He is the God man. But he claims he uses the divine name, I am, and he is claiming to be God. Let me show you one other instance, and we'll kind of worship. Flip to the right, a couple pages, 10 chapters to John 18. Jesus is in the garden. He's about to be betrayed. This is a great passage. Love this little passage. It's one that kind of slips our mind. It kind of kind of gets in and out so quick. So Judas is betraying him. Judas has got himself a bunch of soldiers. It says, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus went there often, And he, having procured a band of soldiers, it's the Greek word for cohort, it's a 600 uh, soldier group. So it didn't mean that all 600 had to be there, but it was certainly several hundred. Matthew says it's a great multitude. So here comes all these soldiers armed to the teeth, chief priests, Pharisees. They're there with lanterns and torches and weapons coming to take Messiah. And Jesus, knowing all this would happen, came forward and said, who do you seek? Love it. Again, think of the lead up. Uh, Moses, who do you, who should I say? The Pharisees earlier, who are you? Now he's asking the same question. Who are you looking for? Who do you want? And they answered him and said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, and I put the he in parentheses because it's not in the original language. What does Jesus respond? He says, ego e me. I am. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And when Jesus said, I am to them, they drew back and fell to the ground. They get knocked on their tuchuses, several hundred soldiers, doesn't even tell us why. One commentator says that they, for a flash, saw the glory of God. By the way, right after this, Peter picks up a sword and chops off someone's ear. Do you think that he would have done that if he didn't think Jesus was in absolute control of the situation? Jesus just says, I am. And these people are like, "Ah," like the force, like, "Ah," you know, whatever, right? I mean, Peter thinks he's in control here, man. Yeah, we got 11 guys. We got this, Jesus. Let's go. Why? Because Jesus just knocked everybody out just by saying his name. And then again, they get up. They kind of dust themselves off like, what was that? And he says, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I told you, I am. And then he makes a point. He says, don't touch any of these. You, you can have me because no one takes my life from me. I have the authority laid down. I have the authority laid up to get, take it up. So I'm going to give you myself, but you ain't touching these dudes. This was to fill the word of the one who said, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Even at the darkest time, the great I am is in absolute sovereign control of everything, even giving his life for us to these chief priests. Just a great use of the word. Love it. Jesus speaks, I am. Boom. You know, they're all on the backsides, right? So what's the point? What, what's the big idea of, this, of how Jesus uses this I am? It's real simple. Take six pills one day, five the next, right? It's big picture. Jesus claims to be God, period. You, and you, you, you can go to some college and some smart dude with a PhD behind his name say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yeah, he did. Whether he is or not, that's a totally different discussion that you can have. But you cannot say, with, if you study the scriptures, that Jesus never claimed, he forgave people's sins. Who can forgive sin but God? He claims right here to be before Abraham. He claims oneness with the Father. He receives worship. He claimed to be God. Whether you acknowledge him or God or not, it's a different question. Right? But he did claim. So he is either right or he is cuckoo for cocoa buffs. That's that's where you gotta land. But the big instructions here, and this is the gateway for all of these other seven statements, you gotta come to Jesus as God. He says, You you gotta abide in my word. Those who continue in my word, they're my disciples. So he says, I am God. Then you gotta start there and then you can get to these other facets. What's it mean that God is my shepherd? What does it mean that he is my vine? What does it mean that he is my bread and my light? You gotta start with the big one. And I think that's significant because I think we sometimes downplay Jesus. He's our homeboy. He's this blonde haired blue eyed hippie with flowers in his hair, running through, listening to the Beatles. That's our Jesus Sometimes. Right? And I'm not trying to take away the humanity of Christ because it's a significant piece of who he is, but he is God. And if he is God, does he not deserve our reverence and our obedience? I think we treat Jesus in the Church of America, when he speaks, it's a suggestion. Yeah, well, that's what Jesus says. He's Is he God? He claims to be God. If he's God, shouldn't I listen to him? If he says this about marriage, Shouldn't I say, okay, that's what Jesus says. He's the king. If he says this about repent and turn, if he says this about love your enemy, forgive, be generous, stop loving money. If he says these things, should I I treat them as suggestions or should I treat them as commands from the king? I think we struggle with that a little bit. I think we say, yeah, it's just, you know, whatever. It's just, you know, Jesus is kind of this thing over here. He's either God or he's not. And if he's God, he is worthy of our love and our worship. And I think we got to start there. But here's the other amazing piece of this. Yes, he is God. He is magnificent. He is the great I am. He is the alpha and the omega. He knows all things. He created all things. All things were created for him, through him. All these, yes, at the same time, he cares deeply and intimately about every single one of us. So much so that he wants a relationship, and intimacy. It's not just he, he makes these broad statements. He's not just this God that stands back at 50,000 feet and just kind of like, yeah, I'm God. I'm just kind of in charge. He is a God who draws near. He is a God who, a couple chapters after this, he has the disciples out and they're all fishing. And he calls out, hey, children, y'all catch anything? Come have breakfast with me. It's a God who desires intimacy. I made a little coal fire here. Let's chill out. We'll get warm around the fire. Let's eat. Let's talk about some stuff. And he looks at Peter and he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And this is a God who wants relationship, who wants our affection, who wants our love. I just want us to see that this summer. I want us to experience not just that Jesus is God, yes, Amen. Resurrection proves it. He's the son of God in power. I want us to see him as the bread of life. I want us to sit at his feet as the vine and we are the branches. I want us to see and be led through the darkness that he is the light of the world. I want us to feel the, the tenderness of him as the shepherd calling the sheep. See, that's those are the little details that I want us to be refreshed this summer. I want us to, like Mary... And Martha, remember the story of Mary and Martha Tlava preached a couple years ago, maybe really last year. Such a good reminder where Martha's all busy, 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 busy. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, Martha. It's always going to be cookies to bake, girlfriend. Mary has chosen the better portion. And I want us to choose the better portion this summer. I know you're going to run around, put sunscreen on kids and all that stuff. Great. But I want to have us sit at the feet of Jesus, be refreshed, and just See who he is, right? See what he says he is. And then experience the life he's created us for. I want us to be like the woman at the well where Jesus tells her, you know, you, you drink that water, you're gonna get thirsty again, but you drink the water I have to offer. You will never thirst. There'll be springs of water. That's that's what I want us to be as a church. And so that's where we're gonna go. So let me pray. Um, I'm gonna let these guys, that's the big idea. I'm gonna let them kind of flip the cor- clip the pills over and we'll read a little bit more. But we're going to remember the cross and remember that God became a man. Why did he become a man? Because he had to die as a man to pay for the sins of men and women. He had to be, he had to be humanity to die for the sins of, of humanity. And so, but he had to be God to be able to die for all of our sins. And so we're going to remember that at the table. Uh, and we're going to, the way we're going to do it this morning is uh, we're going to come forward to these tables or back, or those one on the balcony, and as you kind of grab uh, the elements, you'll go back to your seat and just think and, and reflect and, and take it your own time. But remember, as you're holding that bread, you're, you're holding something that pictures the body, that God became flesh and blood and was able to be pierced and crushed and bruised, and he was able to bleed and he bled so that you could have forgiveness of sins. And, and it's significant for us. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are one who abides in his word and truly his disciple, he actually says you must, earlier in John 8 that you must believe that Yahweh, that I am, the Ego me, or you will die in your sins. And so if you've come to a place where you have believed that he is, man, we invite you to celebrate with us this morning. We, we would, I mean, I don't care if you're from Texas or Honolulu or... Wherever. If you're a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in and him for the forgiveness of your sins. Come to our table. It's a it is the table of the church. It is the table of the redeemed. And if you haven't, we just ask that you would abstain because this is a a a memory for those who have put their faith in Christ. But we would say, Hey, would today be the day of your salvation? Would today you put your faith in this one uh who gave his life for your sins? And then we'll sing, we'll worship. I think we got enough. We got done. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a train wreck. We just, you know, uh, ask that these two groups, you guys try to come down this aisle if you can. You may be split into two or I don't know and kind of go back the outsides. Same with you guys over here, kind of come down that way and go back the outsides if you can. It's fine if you bump into people, we're fine. Grape juice comes out of your pants, so we're good. So, um, But this is our chance to as a body remember. So let me pray for our time uh, of memory in that way and singing and then we'll, we'll worship through song. Father, I ask that, as we remember your son, the great I am, the one who came, the one who is, who always is, who always will be, Um, but yet he entered into human history as a baby. He lived this perfect life. He died a death I couldn't die. I didn't want to die. Paid for my sins, paid for our sins, rose again. As we remember that, uh, let us just be, just not lose sight of the, the miracle of that that the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep because he loves the sheep. We're thankful for that, Lord Jesus. Um, Just refresh us this summer, choosing the better portion. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.